multi-talented Eric Levels, the ensemble. Exalt the King, thank you so much for participating in worship with us. We are excited, but we're thankful. And I, 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 I just want you to go ahead and buy that album. I'll be on there featured myself. I'm excited about it. I'm gonna say this before I begin, and I felt led to do this, so bear with me. I know time is short. Before I even begin to preach about this issue, I wanna make sure that we don't designate the definition of anger or the definition of how we're supposed to have harmonious relationships, even the passages chose in the historical background. I don't want you to say, you know what, Pierre, you're talking about anger and I don't have anger issues. I don't explode, I don't cuss, I don't do this and that and the other, but I wanna make sure that we don't, we classify anger well for those passive aggressive, sarcastic, poke fun, shut down, bottlers, this sermon is for you too. So before you're like, nah, Pierre, you don't know me. I, I'm always still cool, calm, and collected. I'm as cool as the other side of a pillow. This sermon is for you too. We all participate in how anger goes down. Let us pray together. Dearly Father, we are excited because we get to seek you on anger. Um, many of us have bottled anger, contained anger. Many of us have are, are, are one moment away, one straw pulled away from exploding. We have experienced trauma, childhood, whether it's current, whether it's something going on in our lives that has caused us to be angry about issues and not until you poke that issue do you see the anger. So I want to be very careful that we seek you today, that our hearts are soft and not turned off, that our ears are quick to listen, that everything that is in our hearts right now will be removed so that we can focus solely on the Word of God. My prayer for everyone is that every heart is soft so when the seed is planted, either for present or future, they, they know to turn to you and not to me. That God, I am just a messenger, flawed at best, but you are a good, flawless God, an infallible God. So, God, I pray that everyone in this sanctuary is seeking for your word to do its perfect work in their lives. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start by saying this very simple. I know I'm going to make some people mad today because if you can't cook like me, you are going to be upset. All right? And let me tell you one meal I can actually cook okay. Outside of cereal and water. Don't think you know me. The disrespect, y'all don't know me. <laughs> On special occasions, when it's time to impress the lady, I, I, I go ahead and I cook a steak. Yeah. I throw, you know, I get the cast iron, and I, I, I make sure that you get it to a certain temperature. And you got to make sure you cook the steak right. So I know that there is a stigma before I even begin about the steak. Uh, some of us are uncultured. A steak is supposed to be prepared one way. If you get a steak, well done, get out. <laughs> this church ain't for you. No, I'm joking. There's a certain way you have to kick a steak. It's either medium, medium rare, and if you are risky, rare. 
But what I want to say is if you ever say medium well or well done, take your behind to Golden Corral because that's where you should get your steak from. Don't go to a steakhouse and tell them. That's why the waiter looked at you funny. He was like, can you repeat that? And you were like, well done. He was like, mm -hmm, okay. It's very similar to our anger. That when you drop it into the pan, it can get you hot. But in the middle, there's still supposed to be blood. So even though the issue may make you hot, the blood of Jesus is supposed to make sure that it's still good on the inside. The problem with many of us is that what issues get us hot, many of us cook it all the way through. That there's issues in your marriage that are still well done. There's issues in your relationships and your childhoods that are still well done. There are things that you haven't solved that is one poke away from making sure that people know you're fixing to make them well done. My hope for you today is that when we classify anger, everybody walks out cultured. So when you go to Ephesians 4.26, when you get in this text, I want you to understand the beauty, but I also want to make sure I define it well. The first point I want you to understand is definition. What is anger? And what does it really mean to God? Because many of us have got away with a false definition of anger, or let me say the removal of explosion. Many of us have said, if I don't explode, I'm not angry. But in reality, let's define anger. Ephesians 4.26, and we're going to jump around today, and I know many of y'all, y'all not used to that. But we have to today. Be angry and do not sin. To not let the sun go down on your anger, full stop. If you want to know the historical background, before I give you your definition, is the historical background, he's talking about how to have harmonious relationships. So therefore, the reason why this sermon belongs in the Relationship Legacy series is because many of us, relationships have faltered due to our anger issues. And you're like, well, again, Pierre, I don't have anger issues, but you have displaced anger. How many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have displaced our anger on someone else? you angry about your own life and then your kids feel it. You're angry you ain't got the job you wanted, then your kids feel it. You're angry because something's happened in your childhood, so your kids get it. My point is don't necessarily excuse this sermon because it ain't you, but in reality it says be angry and do not sin. Let's talk about the B word. It says be angry. So what is it saying? Are you telling me right now that I'm supposed to be angry? Yes, in certain issues, and no in the rest of them. I want to make sure that you classify this well. If you are made in the image of God and we know God has anger and we know what God gets angry about, you are allowed to be angry. But make sure I define this well. You're only angry at what God is angry of. So therefore, your preferences have to be removed from what you're angry about. So if you get angry because somebody didn't put the dishes up well, that is on you. Don't say that's righteous indignation. That's your stubbornness. That's your preference. If you're angry over how somebody folded the clothes, that is a preference. What God is angry about is what we all should be angry about is sin. Here's the crazy part about our world, though. Nobody's angry over sin anymore, and everybody's angry over their opinion. 
Tell me I'm lying. If you talk about somebody's political party, talk about somebody's mama, you talk about everything else, they angry. But you say, hey, God is angry over this issue. God is angry over homosexuality. God is angry, but not the only sin, adultery, cheating, eyes, lust. Don't let's call out one sin that everybody's angry about. Everybody only gets angry about big sins. How about your lying issue? That's a sin we should be upset about. When you're cussing people out inside your car when nobody can hear you, God is looking at you saying, I am slow to my anger, and we all appreciate that, and we'll get to that next. Hmm. What you should have been mad about, what should have made you weep, is when you saw 19 children. That should have made you angry. What you should have been angry about is when you heard about Buffalo. That should have made you angry. When you heard about the Taiwanese and the Chinese conflict and the church and they got shot up and these people didn't deserve that, you should have been angry because you see the penalty of sin or the consequences of sin on others. When you see your sister going through a bad day, when you see depression taking over your sisters and your brothers in Christ, when you see anxiety rip through their souls, you should be angry because you see what sin can do to people. Oh, but we ain't angry. We even lack empathy and compassion. Jesus wept because he was angry at sin, not just because he was compassionate. He was upset. It was a righteous indignation. Jesus would flip over tables at churches today if he saw what happened. We got smoke and mirrors. We got people that make it more about the preacher than they do about his word. We got personalities that are bigger than God's. And we're like, wait, what just happened? You should be angry, but not at the church. Be angry at the people that are doing the sin. Flip your tables. Oh, but that's not the anger he's talking about because many of us in this room have gotten away with saying I'm angry about issues that are only pertinent to you. Tell me what your idol is and I'll tell you what you get angry about. I know I'm off. Just give me a sec. If something makes you angry quicker, it's either two things. It's unresolved bitterness or... It's your idol. Let somebody take away your video games, my fellas. I've seen the reels. It's either me or the video game. He was like, it's me today. That'll let you know where your idol is. See, we don't know that idols is anything that changes your emotion. Anything that I can remove and your emotion changes, including anger. Ah, but let's get off of that. Y'all don't want to hear about that. But it says right here, it says, be angry. So the second thing you should be asking is, what anger is he talking about? And what is he really saying about being angry? Not only is it supposed to be righteous indignation classified well, but he's also not saying to be it. He's saying at all, if you have to be it, be it the right way. But if you get it on the other side, meaning in your fleshly side, do something with it quickly because you don't want it to sit. He's not telling you to have it. He's not saying go for it. He's not even saying, hey, do it. He's saying, hey, if it ain't righteous, brother, you better be quick with that. So I want to make sure that when we classify this sin, it says this right here. Watch these definitions. He's granting you permission, but he's saying do everything you can to see how dangerous it really can be. How many of us know the dangers of anger? How many of us have experienced what anger can really do? Anger leads, watch these words, and I want to give you the do not part. Because every verse that we're going to read after this, and I wish I had time to dive into each one. I can't preach them all. But I would say is this. Every verse when it says, be angry or do, do not sin, be slow to anger, do not get quick to anger. All these verses that you keep saying, hey, slow it down. 
Because anger by itself makes you lose judgment. Why would he tell you to be slow to it? Why would he say be angry and do not sin? Because he knows the first thing that anger can lead you to do is what? Sin. Because you lose all discernment and you lose all judgment. How do you know that? Many people would say, I saw red. I went black. Why? Because you lost all judgment because you let anger take over where the Holy Spirit belonged. Have you ever noticed that one of the fruits of the Spirit is not anger? Why? Because anger would be the opposite of what God can really give you. Therefore, you don't black out under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The reason why many of us lose it on our children, on our relationships, is because we haven't done the right thing with it. You haven't been slow to it. And if you think you're slow, now watch what I'm fixing to say. i got to be careful not to get to my next point. But if you're slow to it, make sure you're not burying it. There's two different things. And the reason why the kids get displaced anger, the reason why your, your husband, your wife gets displaced anger is because you are burying what you haven't solved. Being slow doesn't mean don't handle. Being slow means make sure it's under the right judgment. That means you got to judge if you're angry and why you should be angry in the first place. You have to figure out if it's righteous in the first place. You got to figure out whether you're right or wrong in the first place. Do you know how many arguments could be solved if people judge themselves well? Oh, but we're quick to judge. We're quick to tell somebody else in our anger when they're wrong. We're quick to flare. It's funny, we look at kids, right? And we say, oh my God, look at that kid throwing a tantrum. I just think adults throw adult tantrums. You may not fall out in the grocery store, even though many of our kids don't do that. How many of y'all ever judged that parent, though? Come on, be honest. <laughs> I got to be careful. But you saw the kid, and he was like, Mom, what that candy bar? Ah! And you looked at your significant other, wife, husband, y'all ain't had kids. You're like, they ain't never going to be my kid. My kid ain't never going to embarrass me like that. But then you get to an adult, and guess what you throw? Just an adult-level tantrum. You just do it different. You call it venting. <laughs> Girl, I just called you to vent. <laughs> Girl, don't judge me. I'm finna throw some cuss words in here. No, you, you, you just throwing your tantrum to somebody else. You ain't even judged it yet. That's why you calling the wrong person. But let me move on. Nobody came here for counseling. The second thing about the sin word, or be, be angry but do not sin, it says that anger causes impulsive action. We talked about going red and black, but it also causes you to be impulsive. That means you lose judgment and you lose decision or the ability to make good decisions. How many of you ever said, because they did this to me, I'm going to do it back? That's impulsive. When somebody texts me really quickly their decision, I'm always apprehensive. If somebody gives me a decision super fast and they still seem a little hot, you don't, don't get mad at me because I'm like, mm, that's okay. My okay does not mean I agree. My okay means I'm here for you. But brother, that does not mean I agree. I'm just letting your impulsiveness get out of you. Because I don't, I don't think people can make good decisions impulsively. Look at your role. Look how you drive. Oh, that's just me. Hmm. Let me tell you something else about cooking. There's a reason why I cook steak, because even if you go a little over or a little less, you have an excuse. But one thing you don't got no excuses with, chicken. <laughs> Am I lying? 
Let one of your friends bite into your chicken and see red. Hey, look, they lose all dignity at that point. Like, mm, no thanks. We ain't finishing that today. You ain't catching with the Samarilla. No. Mm -mm. I'm not sitting on that toilet for the next three days because of you. So what you, what you say? You have to be what? Cooked right. That's the same thing with anger. Your anger better be done right. Oh, the consequences of bad anger. That many people, no offense, have been sitting on the toilet of your anger. Three days dealing with the trauma you gave them because you don't know how to do something right with your anger. And some of y'all don't even wash your chicken right in the first place. That some of us don't do the pre-cook. We don't say, God, is it me first? We don't go through the living water and say, let me go into the Word of God and figure out if this chicken even ready for cooking yet. And then when we cook it, we don't even pierce the middle to make sure the middle has the right temp. And God is looking at you he's like, make sure you do it right. Because if not, don't get mad at your kids when they don't know what to do with their anger either. Haven't we judged our kids for how they display anger only because they look at you and see how you do it? But then we like, man, my kid got anger issues. So do you. Let me move on. Y'all didn't come here for that. Proverbs 14, 29, and I am going to make you turn there because you're going to be there for a little bit. Because I'm fixing to tell you, I'm fitting to tell you what you're going to do with this anger. It says, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. But I wanted to read this second part because many of us don't read that second portion. Just let me, just stay with me. It's going to get good. But passion, uh-oh, is rottenness to the bones. I just want to make sure we read that well. Quick-tempered means that you are quick to what? Make your decisions. We discussed this already. But then it says this word, passion. How many of us have disguised our anger with the word that we're passionate? I'm just passionate about this issue. And we have made our passions our God, lowercase g. Meaning we have said, because I think it's important, it is now my importance, now it's your importance. But let me define passion, because it doesn't mean, hey, I'm just passionate about making sure kids don't get killed again. You should be passionate about that. That's not what this is talking about. What it is talking about is that somebody who is envious, envious, jealous, or has an indignation, or can't take their way of saying, you know, I see what you have, and now I am indignified about it. So therefore, my passion lies with what other people, my envy or jealousy for somebody else. So therefore, we get passionate about money, not because you're really tight. It's only because you're jealous of what somebody else has. So then when you lose it, you get angry. Let's move on. Then what do you do with your anger then? Because everybody should be asking that question. You're right. You're like, Pierre, I hope, hopefully some of us are asking and saying, you know what, Pierre, you're right on the first point. I do get angry. Now, I may not be exploding on nobody. I may be cool, calm, and collected. You know what I realized about myself? You ready for myself? I'm not going to even dog on y'all no more. It's just Pierre Cannon's time. I'm very calm. You can ask my wife. But then I also realized when I punch that bag at night, when I go work out, some of that's anger. I also realized that my patience is dictated by what I bottled all day. So if my kids are not asking hard questions. I'm just impatient. My kids are not doing what kids shouldn't do. Now, hear me out. Kids are going to be kids, y'all. 
The problem is I ain't done nothing with what I've bottled all day. So they only doing what they're designed to do. Therefore, when they come in, the, when I'm using the restroom, which is supposed to be your peace and quiet, and they knock on the door, <laughs> only to ask the question I could have solved after I finished my peace and quiet. Because y'all know we only have two places for silence. The toilet and the shower. Jesus, Lord. Y'all know we don't be using the restroom that long. We be reading. <laughs> but then when they knock on that door, what? But no offense, they be asking them dumb questions. <laughs> Sorry, kids, you're in here today. After I fold my clothes, where you want me to put them? In your drawer! Where else you think they go? <laughs> After we dry the dishes, do we put them away? Yes, you put them away. You heard your mother? So I walk out the restroom, nothing, and nothing has been solved. Now I'm walking in the kitchen all angry. <sighs> you done? Did you finish the dishes? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Displaced anger. So y'all be like, Pierre's always calm. I am. But I got to make sure my kids never feel what I go through in a day. I got to make sure I don't put it into physical activities because I don't solve it. That's a temporary fix to a permanent problem. So what do you want to do with your anger? I'll be honest with y'all. I know I got plenty of illustrations today. Shrimp. Some of y'all, us, we, me, cook shrimp too long because it can't, it don't burn. But if your shrimp turns pink and it's rubbery, you overcooked your shrimp. If I have to chew eight times on that little small shrimp, because that's all we can afford, and your pasta takes me 30 minutes, you overcooked your shrimp. That's anger. Sometimes you can't tell because it's blood red and you can hide it in pasta sauce. But it's not until somebody keeps chewing on your problems do you realize how much you overcooked that anger. Watch what happens next. It says be slow to it. I already said that, so let me be quick with it. Have you ever noticed it's the opposite of what we often are? It says quick-tempered creates a fool. But then it says be slow then. So let me ask you, before you have conversations, this is what I do with premarital, if you ever my premarital mother, it's going to be repetitive. Before you enter into a conversation, do you rinse it with prayer? Why do you rinse it with prayer? Because you want to make sure that everything you do in that conversation is righteous. One. Two, you want to make sure everything you say is edifying. Three, you want to make sure everything that you think you're angry about ain't you. That's why you're slow. But if you're quick, you can never ask three questions. You don't rinse it with prayer and say, God, I need you to convict me first. So Ephesians 4 says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Then James 1.19 says, be slow to anger. And then Proverbs 24 says, be slow to anger. How many times does he have to repeat it before we get it? But let's talk about the bed issue real quick. Because some of us are married. This is going to be good. 
What does that really mean? Don't go to bed angry. I've heard many couples come in my, we, 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 we make sure that we practice. Never to go to bed upset at each other. Stop lying. <laughs> what you said is, I'm calm enough to fall asleep. Because you know, if you're not calm enough, there's been some pretty immature things are done when that person next to you falls asleep. <laughs> some of y'all have kicked your partner to make sure they feel your wrath. Some of y'all make sure you move violently so that person wakes up. Some of y'all said, huh, what's that? You know you're just trying to wake your partner up because you can't sleep. So what does the verse mean? The verse doesn't mean that you saw. It means that you reconcile the issue. Does that mean you agree? No. Stop making that verse that we've agreed so you stay up till three in the morning trying to agree. Sometimes in marriage, you just don't agree. But what you do is you reconcile it. And you make sure that everything that's in your heart and mind is righteous. Why? Because you could fall asleep anytime you're doing God's will. So sometimes the reason why you're still up because you ain't righteous yet. But we blame it on the person next to us. Only, only for you ain't the fool with yourself. God has you up, possibly, possibly, because it's still on you. Ah, uh, but let's move on. Don't go to bed angry is not a marriage verse. Let's put that correctly. It means to solve it with haste, not before the night. That means if you have an anger issue, just like it says, don't be angry at your brother and don't hate your brother in church and then come here and take communion. Don't be angry at your brother in church and then start worshiping. He, what does he always tell you? Fix your problems. So this ain't a marriage sermon. If you're single and you got problems with somebody else and you're angry with them, what is he saying? With haste, go solve it. That means if somebody in this church is the person you don't like, that's on you. If you're still angry, and how do I know you're angry? You make hasty decisions, you don't seek righteousness, and you don't have relationship. So therefore, you're still angry, and stop hiding it under, I can be in their presence. That is not the resolving of anger. Stop saying, I can wave at them three times, and I don't get mad no more. No, that's a step. But that ain't it. If I were to be honest with y'all right now, how many of you have unresolved anger in your lives right now? If you were to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what person can I not be around without feeling something inside? Everybody got somebody. Whether it's a dad, a mom, a brother, cousin. Because you know what's funny about Christians? We're the better hiders out of the non-Christians. We know how to hide sin better. So it doesn't mean you don't have it. It just means you're good at hiding it. It's not until you come in that counseling session, that's when I'm like, oh, you, yeah, you, you angry for sure. I'm not that angry. Yes, you are. You spent the last 45 minutes talking about this issue. You might be angry. I'm good. <laughs> then they come to my next session, they're like, oh, it's, I only need 15 minutes of your time. I'm like, boy, stop. You're just trying to put a timeline on it. Let's move on. With speed and haste. And then it says, solve it before the time. But then it gives you James 1.19, which says, be slow. To anger. That means you are thinking through the complexity of every issue. I wonder how many problems would be solved if people thought before they talked. Because in that same verse, it's be slow to speak, quick to listen. 
if we're honest, how many of us get upset in the middle of a conversation because you don't feel like somebody's listening? Or they're solving problems that you don't have because they're not listening. You know how many, okay, we have now excused and we have found a word, plural, to excuse people who talk too much. And we call them now verbal processors. And it's true that some people who process while they talk, that means they talk, and while they're talking, they're processing that thought. That's why they'll have a lot of aha moments while they'll talk. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that's why I feel this way. It's a verbal processor. However, many people who talk a lot don't listen well. That's why you make people upset when you talk to them, because you don't care enough to listen to them. So you'll find one word, you'll jump off, and you'll start going on that one word and you're only trying to solve your issue. But the last time I checked, communication is about what? Solving the issue. But if you're only concerned about solving your issue, of course your partner is upset. So some of y'all want to be married, my singles. Don't get me wrong. I hope whatever your heart desire, God gives you. But how about you work on your communication before you get married? There's a reason why you have no conflict resolution in every one of your relationships, and it may not be them. And then guess what we classify it as? I hope I meet somebody calmer next time. I need somebody who listens better. Do you listen? Mm. <laughs> I got to be quiet. Proverbs 19.11 reads, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. So I had to talk about this. A man's discretion, the ability to do what? Discern what is worth it. And if you discern, maybe you wouldn't be angry because you would realize what is worth your anger. How many arguments have you ever been in? I know there's a lot of application. Pastor will be mad at me later. But how many, how many arguments have you been in where you can't remember why you started it? Oh, I'm talking to somebody today. And then y'all laugh later. Like, I don't even remember why we was upset. That's not cute. You wasted two hours of my time. You called me at work. Not Monica, before I get in trouble, Jesus. She got a hat on too, I'm in trouble. But many of us what? I don't even remember why I was upset. Because you didn't even discern why you were upset in the first place. You just knew you felt a certain type of way. Stop letting your emotions be your God. You know how I know if emotions are your God? Is if they lead you in conversation. So therefore, you get into a conversation only because you feel like you need to be in the conversation. But my prayer for every married or single is that before you jump into the conversation, not only you prayed up and filled with the Holy Spirit, that third thing is just saying, God, make sure this is not a fleshly emotion. Because if you ask that question, sometimes we'll be able to have a 15-minute conversation instead of a 55-minute conversation. Why? Because you already discern what is right and what is wrong. You, there were moments in my marriage, y'all, where I was wrong. There's lots of them. But I can tell you this, and I'm not preaching. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But what I would do is that when Monica, she's not a verbal processor like me. So guess what she would say? Baby, I just need 15 minutes. And I'm over here trying to do it the canning's way. We're going to talk for three hours, baby. We're going to solve this. <laughs> Family meetings are important. 
Pierre, where are you going? I just want 15 minutes. You cannot have 15 minutes. I know there's something still there. Oh, God bless. So when my wife would say 15 minutes, after I learned how to honor that, in those 15 minutes, if you actually ask God, you'll go in apologizing for things before she even has to say it. Because your wife shouldn't be your convictor. The Holy Spirit is. But many of us are banking on the conversation to know when you're right and wrong. You should do the work beforehand. That means I should walk into the convo saying, baby, look, this is on me. I'm selfish, period, point blank. And I knew it because I would take her on a date with selfish intent. And I thought I was taking her on a date to spoil her. No, I wanted something. And it wasn't until the night when I realized that's on me. So instead of me walking in the room saying, I can't believe we didn't have quality time after our date. You know what I said? Baby, I'm sorry for being selfish. I promise to take you out with the purest intent from this point forward. Conversation's over. She don't have to call it out because she's not the Holy Spirit. If you really want to prep yourself for marriage, fall in love with the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to fall in love with a man or a woman. If you really want, walk and be led by the Holy Spirit. So when you get in the relationship, not only can you discern what is right and wrong, you discern whether this man or woman is right and wrong. You don't even got to waste your time. But many of us have to go through a trial period. We act like we're on the 90 day. Whether you want the phone or not. And you're like, I want my money back guarantees. By that time, you had a whole bunch of trauma and wasted time. You didn't come here for that. So you know what to do with it. It says slow down. Then it tells you what? Discern. And then it tells you again in Proverbs 14, 29 and 30, it says what? Slow down again. So if all these things keep telling you to slow down, that means we should be the slowest people ever. But you know what has made us fast? I think, just hear me out, social media. That people are so fast to tell you their emotions without checking them. So when they get into real relationships with real people, you over there debating like you're going to make life-changing conversation on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but you never have to figure out which one is pure and which one's not. Anger and abusive speech is also something that follows that anger. So watch what happens later on in Ephesians 4. Just turn back with it. I'm going to get to this. We're almost done. In Ephesians 4, he says this. Watch, go down a little further at verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But watch this. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. And this is why I tied these two together. Because if you don't know your moments because you're too quick, you'll never know what word to choose. So guess what we do? We go on an elevation competition. Who can elevate their voice the fastest and say the rudest thing? So then we end the conversation leaving unedified and demasculated and dewomanized all because I can't learn how to say what word do I need to choose to build you up, not tear you down. I'm too angry. I can't figure it out. I wish that people would learn to back away from the table. One of the most miraculous practices, not only in eating, but in conversation. Say, hey, baby, give me 15 to go pray. 
Monica taught me that. I'm not sure if she was praying. Sometimes I come back, she's falling asleep, but that's okay. <laughs> but she would push away from the table. No offense, in my canning's way, guess what I would do? Keep trying to find words. Sometimes it's good to choose your words and be slow to them so you pick them wisely. When's the last time you left an argument and you felt edified? Edified means to build up. That means when you leave, even if you disagree, you should still feel like we are up. But up doesn't mean I feel good about the convo because I'm pretty sure people leave with two different interpretations of the conversation. Building up means I build you towards God. Make sure you have direction on what's up. So therefore, if we're in this conversation because I'm prayed up and filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm only trying to lead us towards God. So that means at the end of the conversation, we should both feel like we're closer to God than when we got in the conversation. That's why I always, this is a tidbit, I know there's a lot of application in this sermon, that's why I tell people, affirm before you defame. Find the positive of that person before you tell them how negative they are. You know the reason why we get so caught up in our anger? Because all we can find is negative in life. We lose the blessings because we're so angry. But if you ever looked at your wife and ever looked at your husband and said, hey man, I'm just thankful he's a good husband. He comes home every day. He may, I don't have to worry about where the money's at. I don't got to worry about this is that. I have a good wife who makes sure the house is a home and makes sure she takes care of the kids. I don't got to worry about where my kids are at. I don't got to worry about what's going on in my home. I ain't got to worry about all these kids. So when I come home from work, the house is a home. Meals are cooked. Everything's prepared. I have a good wife. So before you even get in the combo, I edify my wife. But because we've been together too long, some of us have lost the positive and only focus on what they're not. But the reason why you made it 30 years is because there's something that 30 years got you to, and it wasn't you. But if you're self-righteous, oh my gosh. If you enter into every conversation thinking you're right, both of y'all going to end up wrong. Oh man, this is where Christians don't want to hear that. Just because you saved doesn't mean you're right. The only one who's right is God. Ask him if you're right. All right, y'all can clap now. Watch this next one. (laughs) 31 of the same chapter. Let all bitterness and wrath, uh uh-oh, and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all your malice. Let's get deep. We're still on this last, finishing this last point. This is self-work. Hear me out. This is your self-work. You know how I know that? Because this whole chapter is about putting away the old person and putting on the new person. So since it's about putting on the new person, that means you have to put away your bitterness. Guess who doesn't have to do it for you? Someone else. You can't make your husband, your wife, your significant other, and your friends and your co-workers, you can't make them your counselors. Do your work. Seek the Lord. Ask him to take away your anger, and if you haven't solved it, guess what you need to say? God, help me learn how to solve it. Who has offended me? Who am I angry with? Where is this issue from? Do I have some daddy issues? Do I have some mama issues? Do I have some past relationship trauma issues? Do I have friendship? Do I have knives that are still in my back from past friends? I need to solve them all, and God, while you're at it, could you remove the knives so I can heal? Oh, no. 
We too stuck throwing daggers before we realized we got knives in our back we ain't solved yet. Hmm. I said you stop clapping. I wish I had time to define them all, but this one word I want to focus on, especially for us, is bitterness. Bitterness is built on pent-up anger. That means if you haven't solved it, or you solved it or displaced it, and it was never solved, meaning you found your way out in video games, television, phones, etc., then that means you will create bitterness. Bitterness means I have a distinct hatred towards you are the issue. That means I can't even talk about the issue because as soon as I talk about it, I get angry about it. That is called bitterness. How do you solve something you can't talk about? And how do you work through something you won't deal with? And then you take that bitterness and guess who it comes out on? Everyone else. So now everyone has to walk on eggshells around you because you that bitter person in the house. So that means everybody's like, oh, she's upset? Oh, man, shoot, shoot. You know you the person. If you in the kitchen and nobody's with you, it might be you. If people knock and then your kids' eyes do this, uh, I, 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 I was just wondering, were we going to eat today? No, yes, you're going to eat. That ain't your kid's fault. They hungry. They just know to walk on eggshells when you're in a mood, though. They've learned. Don't blame them. No offense. Look at yourself. You might be walking around with wrath and bitterness. You know when God said I poured out my wrath, it was only on sin? Because his word wrath is in there, too, and I wish I had time. You know when God poured out his righteous indignation, it was only on sin? So then you have to ask your question, when you are upset, does it only come out against sin? Or it comes out only when you feel like you have a righteous or your self-righteous indignation? Let's close this out. Let me give you the benefits and then we'll close. Because every verse gives you a benefit of being slow to anger, not quick-tempered, and every other thing. But let's start in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, it tells you, do not let the sun go down on your anger, but watch these words, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Y'all ever heard the verse where it says, Satan is croaching out your door? I want you to get the vision behind that. The beauty of the verse is that he is not in the door. He just needs you to open it. Hear me out. That means our God is the protector. Satan can't indwell you because the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, indwells you. The only person that can let Satan kick open that door is if you give him a crack. And there's only two areas where, excuse me, according to my study, there might be more, when it talks about Satan croaching at your door and it talks about giving Satan an opportunity. One is anger and the other, there's kids in here. So therefore, look how serious this is to God because he knows if you let yourself fly off the handle, Satan is like, perfect, let me tear this down. And if you think I'm lying, how many of you have went from red, finally got to white, and was like, what did I just do? 
Because Satan is just waiting to tear down your entire family where kids that can't trust you, wives that don't believe in you no more, all the things that happen because they're looking at you like, bro, I, I can't fool with this dude. He just needs a little crack. And once he gets in, he takes every opportunity to change the landscape of your life. Here's the crazy thing, because if you talk about Satan, we know that he's not a visitor. He doesn't want to be a visitor, excuse me. What does he want to do? He wants to steal and destroy. He's not coming to take a peek. He ain't a peeping Tom, ain't like, what you doing in there? No, I'm coming to destroy you. And there's one way I know I can do it is if I get you angry enough. So guess what we do? We give Satan every opportunity because we don't resolve our bitterness. We don't dissolve our wrath. We don't ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. We don't say, God, I need to pray about this conversation. We don't resolve issues with past problems. We don't say nothing. We just say, I'm black, I'm proud, and I'm going to keep moving. I got to be strong. Oh, let me talk to my brothers. Your strength is a fake weakness sometimes. You all, I can get past this by myself? Watch you break people along the way. Go get your help. Go get your help. And I mean that because you don't know your fake strength is making your sons think they need fake strength, making your daughters think you don't care, making all the people around you, your wife, feeling like she's helpless around you because you're like, I got this. Stop backpacking your family. The last time I checked, God is the only one who can carry your backpack. Ladies, many people have made you think you got to backpack your problems. You were supposed to feel safe and secure. People weren't supposed to take advantage of you. People weren't supposed to make you feel like you got to get over it on your own or you got to displace it somewhere else. Dads were supposed to protect you. Mothers were supposed to love you. And if I could just talk to you for a second, the only place you can put that at sometimes is the altar. Because if not, the, the nurturing part of your motherhood will disappear because of your anger. So now your kids can't feel that touch because you're too upset about the person who touched you. Now your kids can't feel a mother who loves and comes around and spends time and sits on the floor and plays trucks with them because you're too busy doing backpacking somebody else. Let the backpack down and let Jesus walk with you and carry all your problems. Because if not, your displaced anger is going to cause more trauma that your kids are going to try to get out of. Because now, guess who ends up carrying your backpack? The legacy behind you. If I could paint an image, I want you to see yourself carrying a luggage, but I want to see all your kids having many backpacks just falling behind their mom. Satan is just waiting for an opportunity to break everything down. I sometimes wonder if singles are still single because God wants to do a work in you first. I just hear me out. God is looking at you, let me work. Let me work. Yes, I have somebody for you. Be patient. But let me work on you. Let's unpack this backpack so this husband or this wife doesn't have to carry it for you. But we just look for better people without working on ourselves. Moving on. Then it says this other word, it brings you glory. If you go with me really quickly. 
to Proverbs 19.11, one of my passages I know I've been turning to a lot. In 19.11, it says, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger. You got that part. And it's his glory. But watch these next couple words. To overlook a transgression. Oh, my. Oh, my. It's whose glory? His glory. But what is he really saying? So you're telling me, Pierre, don't bottle up, but then you're also telling me to overlook stuff? Nah. No. The word overlook means I choose to forgive even if they ask for it or not. Therefore, I see it, I know what exists, and even if they've hurt me, I choose to forgive them. Therefore, I don't develop anger. Therefore, guess what? It's to my glory. Because if I get my own revenge, guess whose glory is torn down? Mine. So you got to remember who the proverb is written to. It's written to a what? A king. Royalty. He's saying, my brother, my king, my princess, my princesses, don't return anger for anger. Because if you do, you're going to tear down your own glory. And don't tell me that scripture is not true. How many of you have ever felt undignified as you exploded? How many of you have said that word you knew you regretted as soon as you said it? If I'm lying, just tell me I'm lying. That when you glance back, you had to apologize for more things than just saying you were wrong or choosing to forgive them. Sometimes a conversation can be a lot shorter than we make it. I'm sorry, and I forgive you. I'm sorry, but I forgive you. It's a short conversation. But let me define forgiveness for those who are questioning my face. Forgiveness is the removal of consequence. It is the choice to know that the sin or the offender offended you existed and saying, I still choose to remove it as far as the east as to the west. That is overlooking. That means I see it. I choose not to give you your penalty. How do I know that? Jesus. He knows your sin. He saw what you did last night. He sees you in these pews right now. He knows how much hookah is in your system. <laughs> he knows of your past existence and membership at Coco Loco. I took it way back right there. Yeah. He knows about your butterfly days. He knows your Tootsie Rolling days. But the reason why you're in this church is because he said, I see it and I saw it. But come up here and worship me anyways. Because guess who gets the glory? It's his glory. Moving on. Last thing. James 1.19 and we'll stop here. It says, for the anger of the Lord does not achieve the righteousness of God. So how in the world could he say, be angry, but then he says, if you are angry, it won't achieve my righteousness. Because he's saying, if you know it's there, solve it as fast as you can, because your anger will never get your righteousness. So therefore, if you want to achieve righteousness of God, do something with your anger so that you can do your righteousness. Have you ever noticed in your anger, a fleshly emotion, you never achieve what God tells you, but if you calm down first, 
And like we said, we rinse it well. Guess what happens? We can always achieve the righteousness of God. You know what I would encourage couples to do right now? I would encourage couples to go home and say, hey, you know what? I was wrong for these things. And watch God's righteousness work. Don't wait for them to say it back. This is not a let's give and take. This is a give because I was convicted. I forgive you too. I wonder how many couples would still make it with the righteousness of God at the forefront of their minds. Meaning, how can I achieve righteousness with you right now? That should be your only question when you enter into a conversation. How can I achieve the righteousness of God? And I can't do it angry because I can't see well. I don't judge well. I don't discern well. I'm going to act a fool in this conversation. Folly. So therefore, because of that, I'm going to take a step back from the table and say, God, what is righteous? I can't do it while I'm angry. But if you want the righteousness of God, and that's the only thing you want, calm the mess down. I'm going to be honest. Some of our food, uh, it's some history here. Some of, some, of the, mm, some of the people who can't cook have made excuses for burning stuff. And we're going to call it out right now. Stop telling your kids it's crispy. <laughs> Stop saying I overcooked it, but it's still good. No, we smell the smoke. There's one trauma that we're fixing to get out right now. My mama could cook, but I'm fixing to say it. When she would kind of lose track in the kitchen, but she leave the toaster. Y'all know where I'm fixing to go with this. The toast, I was very particular, I'm a picky kid. The toast would come out black. And then my mama was like, baby, that's just the top layer. And then she'd make me get a knife and scrape off all the black. Talking about we ain't going to waste no piece of toast. No, you burnt it. It's wasted. You know why I know that? Because the peanut butter jelly tastes like roasted peanuts and burnt jelly. The taste doesn't go away. You burnt it through and through. These extra crispy fries. No, it's not. You burnt them. Some of us are telling people in their lives, with your displaced anger or your anger, hey, just scrape off the top, we good. Hey, I know you can eat, eat, eat what I'm giving you, it's good enough. It's just extra crispy, but mama wasn't that mad, you were all right. Mama's not going to apologize. You know you was wrong. And we keep giving people burnt stuff and saying, deal with it. It's okay. Today is your day to say, you know what? I burnt the piece of bread. I made some mistakes. In the beginning of my sermon, it said one of the characteristics of God was that he was slow to anger. We appreciate when he's slow with us. My only prayer is that you start becoming slow with other people so that you can give them a good piece of toast. 
and not overcooked shrimp, and not no chicken with salmonella. Can we pray?